You choose Columbus Business First every week to give you the inside industry intelligence for nearly every business sector in Central Ohio. And Columbus Business First chose Crate Media as its official podcast partner for its unique show, Women of Influence, now 70 episodes strong. With 4 million shows, hundreds of millions of listeners, and industry advertising revenues approaching $4 billion, podcasting is the fastest-growing audio medium in the U.S. From law to medical, construction to automotive, retail to real estate, every brand has a story. Let Crate Media help tell yours. Visit crate.media slash CBF to learn more about how we can help while receiving a free one-hour casting session with our expert producers, which will help to uncover and shape your company's branded podcast. To learn more about sponsoring Columbus Business First Women of Influence podcast, please email Advertising Director Steve Hewitt at shewitt at bizjournals.com to get started. That's S-H-E-W-I-T-T at bizjournals.com. Businesses don't open up to parking lots anymore. They're opening up to green spaces and blue spaces. This reinvigorates existing institutions from Franklin Park Conservatories reimagined as a way station on your day's adventure. The zoo, COSI, they do outdoor mobile education and KIPP school is going to be building outdoor classrooms. We should not settle. We have got to raise the bar high. From Columbus Business First, it's Women of Influence, an interview series showcasing some of the most inspiring women in the Central Ohio business community. You probably remember Amy Acton from her daily press conferences back in the spring of 2020 when she used colorful language, metaphors, and a general sense of compassion to guide Ohioans through one of the most uncertain times in our history. But it was a challenging job for Acton, who left the role in June 2020 and returned to her previous employer, the Columbus Foundation. Then, like many in the workforce over the past few years, she took a big career leap, joining the newly launched Rapid5 nonprofit earlier this year as its first CEO. Acted as my guest on this week's Women of Influence podcast, but she's not alone. She brought with her Jennifer Peterson, who likewise left her job as chief executive at Easton to join the organization as COO. The pair, just a few days apart in age, say the effort to better connect Central Ohioans to the region's waterways fits their passions at this stage of life. Well, of course, like everything else that has happened in my life, I stumbled into it. I actually don't remember saying yes to a job, (laughs) but it was a friend of mine, Kirsten Carr, who I had met actually in Leadership Columbus. And this was after the pandemic. And I was looking, you know, after going through what I went through, where do you go next from that. And she said, she knew my love of nature. And she said, Amy, you have to see this book, this project we're working on. And she handed me a book, which is on our website, 260 some pages of the most amazing designs I'd ever seen, a vision for our city um, where we put nature at the center of our lives. And it was 145 miles of blue ways and hundreds and hundreds of miles of greenways and 38,000 miles of parks. And when I saw it, I just wondered who thinks this boldly. And that was the beginning of my sort of being lured into the next adventure of my life. Mm -hmm. And what about you, Jen? How did you come across the opportunity? So I heard about Rapid Five uh, towards the end of 2019. Keith Myers was at a WLI event, the Women's Leadership Initiative through ULI. 
at OSU and he was sharing this vision. And I was in the audience just dumbstruck with what he was describing, you know, coming from Chicago where the Lake Michigan and the Chicago River are just an integral part of everyday life. You know, that that wasn't something I'd experienced in Columbus. So I got really excited. I love nature. I love the water. I love being on the water. And so I was following sort of from the sidelines what they were up to and then heard the CMC presentations, all those five design firms that Amy mentioned coming to the table and sharing these incredible designs and vision for all five of those major corridors that evenly are, are dispersed through our region. And, you know, so goosebumps ensued and continued and um, had some tangential connection to Rapid Five through a program that Easton did with Morpsey called the Eaton Future Vision Fellows. And the students from Knowlton were studying issues that were really related to, to Rapid Five, quite honestly, not necessarily even by design, but looking at uh, more equitable access, looking at activating and um, bringing nature to neighborhoods that, you know, might be within a half a mile, but we're not, you know, utilizing the green space or the blue way. And so I, you know, have just been thinking about all of this when I heard Amy was getting involved and and then we connected and the, the rest, rest is history. history. <laughs> so you two already knew each other previously? Well, you know, I I knew of Jen because in the nonprofit community, she's just a revered person as well. Peterson's job at Easton included work with the Center's Foundation, putting her in Acton's orbit when she was with the Columbus Foundation. But that's not the only way she saw Rapid Five fitting into her path. Yeah, I think those components of connection, you know, which have always been integral to whatever career moment I've been in at Easton, even, you know, tenfold with connecting to over 250 tenants, connecting to all the nonprofits that the Easton Community Foundation works with, which is hundreds. And and then with with within our own community, all of the employees that work at Easton, um, that work in the Easton area, 30,000 office workers. So there was just so many points of connection as well, working for a developer and understanding the design process and understanding what green space can bring to an environment. You know, a small pocket park, a liner park. These are huge game changers when it comes to development because you are creating spaces where people can commune and enjoy and and choose to come to just hang out. And and that benefit is, you know, similar to being on a hike, mm-hmm. that you just have a moment of respite and can sit down on a bench and take in, in some beauty. Mm-hmm. Was it, it, honestly, your job at Easton seems like a pretty cool job. <laughs> <laughs> How did you feel about leaving, about taking on this new challenge? Were you scared? What did, how did you overcome that? Yeah, it was a big decision and a, and a big change. And I love Easton and I always will. You know, I loved it before I worked there and long after uh, I will continue to love it. I think, you know, the purpose part of of what I want to do in this third act, if you will, you know, was really calling to me. And I realized that, you know, seven years into the journey at Easton had accomplished a lot. We were named the number one experience center in America twice. We were just named that again in August, you know, so a month or so after I left. And 
you get to the point where you feel like I, I needed to have a new challenge. I needed to do something that, you know, maybe would have an even greater impact potentially. And, you know, with my knowledge of Rapid Five and then understanding Amy's involvement, her asking me to do this was like, I, I, I couldn't say no. I mean, it just seemed like all of this serendipity had come together at the right time. And mm-hmm. I was also terrified. You know, I'm not going to lie. It's, you know, it is a big difference. We're a startup. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's... You know, I think it's like having children. You forget mm-hmm. how taxing startups are. I've been in this startup environment before, so I wasn't mm-hmm. scared of that piece. But, you know, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, my family even, they just, they just knew. Like, they were so supportive. My husband, my three kids, that this was something that I was supposed to do. Acton's move to Rapid Five can feel like a pretty dramatic swerve, especially for those who know her best as the face of Ohio's response to COVID-19. But as the former health director recounts her career history, it's clear her resume is far from a linear path. Well, you know, I I had a job I just loved. I worked at the Columbus Foundation, um, really facing the community. And at the time, I was working on a project around youth homelessness. I knew we were at this incredible tipping point like a lot of things, and I would, I would say this to our listeners too, you just never know who you're with on any given day. It turned out I met for probably an hour one of the governor's closest advisors um, and one day literally got a call as I was driving down the street with my husband um, that the governor wanted to talk. And it was a lot to step out into that role. I keep joking that I was sort of the Ted Lasso of politics. <laughs> um, I, In some ways, it was a blessing that I... I didn't know better. I'm not a political person. I'm a physician. Um, my job is constantly to raise well-being for all people. And in this case, it was 11.7 million patients. So, But the holy grail for me of public health is creating community conditions in which we can all reach our full potential and thrive. And when, when that happens, when we get that universal lift, it's just a ripple effect. And no matter what project I've done, you know, I started out in traditional medicine in the Bronx in the 1990s. Um, it turned out to be the crack cocaine epidemic. Half of the kids in my peds practice were going to be dead by the age of three from contracting AIDS in utero. And by that point, I just felt like everything I learned in medical school was getting to things much too late. And that's how I had discovered prevention and trying to get out of head. And we live 30 years longer than we did a century ago, but only five of that was due to everything I learned in med school sick care. You know, the holy grail is health and well-being, which is this complete state of emotional, physical, and spiritual well-being. It's not merely the absence of disease. And I think that's what we're all longing for, especially as we emerge from this pandemic You know, it's not over. Everywhere I go, even around Ohio, there's still a bit of suffering going on. Nothing's going quite right back the way it was. People, you know, this pandemic, you know, it deeply disrupted everything from supply chains to everything that we've known as normal. And we need to mourn those losses and grieve them. But right in the heart of disruption is always the pearl of the next great thing. And this is an amazing time really an amazing time in the state and certainly in this region as we grow to grow well. Mm -hmm. And so I think Jen and I are really excited because we feel like we're sitting on something that is at heart about our health and well-being, about our communities vibrating differently. It's about our quality of life. 
And so these conditions, whether you're creating a little world that, you know, is the world of Easton or you're doing it at a regional level like we are for four million people with the hope of connecting to the rest of the work going on in the state, in the end, you know, economic prosperity is deeply tied to human development and and vitality. And we want to be that North Star of what it feels like to live here. Acton has big goals for Rapid 5. You can hear it in the passionate way she talks about the project. But given the tumultuous nature of her recent past, I pressed her. Is she in this for the long haul? You know, everything in my life has been just kind of one continuous narrative. My life has never been like aim at this one thing, and that is a goal. I, I had, I've had no goal like that. But there was a morning one time early in the pandemic where I just had this feeling of like everything that had happened in my life, good and bad, every adventure. You know, I paused when I had children and took some time off to help raise my kids. I've traveled the world in global health. I've been a professor. I've done public-private partnerships. But there was this moment where I just felt it all locked and loaded and I just like had everything I needed that was just for that moment. And I really feel in a strange way the pandemic was leading to this moment. So for me, Rapid to Five is just this sort of dream space. You know, I'm, I love to garden. I am an outdoor nature person. I'm not necessarily climbing mountains anymore, but, you know, the dream for me is when all ships rise. It's just a feeling when you see it. And it's a sweet spot where all sectors and people come around the table. I always say to my students, who's at the table? Angela Merkel surrounded herself with theologians and medical anthropologists and historians, in addition to virologists and the military and all these business leaders to solve problems differently. And we are at this amazing, people should not take this for granted, we are at an amazing place in the state, in the city, in this community, um, where I believe the seventh largest state and population could truly become the city and the region of our dreams. This is about creating cities that are worthy of human affection. There's a gentleman who studies cities all over the country and studies the effects of nature, and he has this program called 880, Cities for Eight-Year-Olds. And for your daughter, Charlotte, as well, <laughs> an 80-year-old. So we imagine creating a city with outdoor nature classrooms where a kid, I mean, Rochelle's sitting here with us, our dear friend and her daughters in many of our videos, like the squeal of children's delight when they discover nature and then become the stewards for the next generation. It's about our aging population and how they can age in place and sit on a park bench. The nature benefits are profound. So this is a very, very exciting time. And I know Jen and I are just giving our, our hearts and souls to this. We will leave nothing mm-hmm. on the table. It's hard to think of anyone who had a more stressful job during the pandemic than Amy Acton. But being the chief executive of a shopping center like Easton, as Peterson was, wasn't particularly easy. Yeah, it was um, incredibly difficult, like it was for everyone. You know, we had 250 brands just shut down and stop paying rent one day. You know, so that was extremely challenging. Easton had never really closed. You know, the bars are open till 3. The mall walkers come about 4.30. Lots of construction happens at night. So Easton is vibrant, you know, 24-7. And suddenly we were closing down 
this establishment. And our team was there. I mean, we still had to maintain the property, keep it safe. And obviously behind the scenes, plot and plan, which we were doing well in advance of the stay-at-home orders, but also throughout that time, knowing we would reopen at some point. You know, how were we communicating? How were we going to keep people safe? You know, what were we going to do with crowd control? Were we going to require masks, uh, which we did do even before the city and county made that a mandate? So there was so much. I mean, I think I worked around the clock. Maybe not as much as I'm working now. No, (laughs) you know, it was it was a very it was a very difficult time. But, you know, there was also moments of, you know, significant connection, you know, from our team perspective, how we worked with every single tenant to ensure that when the time was right for them to reopen, that we were right there to support them with all of our guests and communicating at every turn, you know, what new policies and protocols were in place and, you know, what would they be expecting when they showed up at Easton? You know, our restaurants and grocery stores never closed. So we supported them continuously through even the the stay-at-home period. And that was a real lifeline for people to be able to obviously get groceries, to pick up dinner. You know, some restaurants could not do it. You know, they really, they couldn't afford to to have people there preparing to-go meals if, if they weren't serving a whole restaurant. And so we worked with the ones that could and promoted them and even had a really unique and special program that we worked on with five of the restaurants to make meals for frontline workers and first responders. So we delivered over 4,000 meals over that time to hospitals and police departments and fire departments. And, you know, it gave us purpose in a time where, you know, we weren't sure what was going to happen and and how it was going to go. But it, it was um, like 10 years, I think, of the pandemic years, you know. <laughs> so I worked at Easton 7, but really like 27, or, you know, I guess 25 if you subtract the two. So it, it, it took a toll, you know. It was, it was intense and, you know, none of that was the reason that I chose to take this opportunity. I mean, just hearing Amy today, I tear up because she's so mm-hmm. inspiring and how she sees this rapid five being so much bigger than recreation and what's going to happen on those rivers and on those streams and in those parks. It's it's really about creating a new identity for our city and about putting quality of life mm-hmm. at the center with nature at the core. And I mean, these are profound concepts that, you know, it, it's going to be an incredible time for our city to see this this huge transformation. I mean, there's already great parks and we have beautiful rivers and yet they're not connected to each other and there's not access in every part of town. And so there's just work to do to work alongside these municipalities to to bring out all those special assets and connections. You know, so I think the pandemic made us all rethink our mm-hmm. our lives, our work, our purpose. And, you know, certainly that plays into to the decision of, you know, could could there be a even higher purpose for me that I was meant to do? Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I'm just really enjoying being on the journey. Both Acton and Peterson can point to the ways Rapid 5 fits with their resumes. I asked how it fits with their Rolodexes. Is Peterson calling up developers she worked with? Is Acton calling the governor? Yeah, I mean, I think the the design firms that envision these five corridors and and what what they could be obviously requires the development community to come alongside and work with municipalities to 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 build and to create. 
you know, we're not going to be the implementers. We're going to be the catalyzers who inspire this. And, and we, will, we will bring tools and support and guidance along the way because we know some municipalities have that in spades within their own, you know, offices of the mayor and city managers. And some really don't. You know, they need design help. They need help understanding what are the environmental concerns you know, the legalities, the the permitting, even the design in some case we may do if they need that. And we believe that developers will come with us on this on this journey. We've already had a significant gift from the Thrive companies and they're doing development which brings nature into the core of their work. And I think they're setting a great example for what other developers can bring as well. And where you see that common North Star, you know, we, we can all row together, including them. Acton was joined at those daily 2020 press conferences by Mike DeWine, the Ohio governor who'd recruited her to lead the Department of Health just a few months prior. With her new gig lined up, I wondered, has she pitched him on how the state can work with Rapid5? Of course, I gave the governor um, the book that amazed me so much. Um, and he, he definitely, you know, as as well as many folks in our legislature and our mayors, we all know that we are sitting in a moment in Ohio. You know, I grew up in Youngstown. People know that I grew up in pretty impoverished situation up to the age of 12, you know, including being homeless in the winter in Ohio. You know, many of our children still do two to three out of five at times living in situations that involve neglect. For me, living in those places... I was saved by things like Mill Creek Park, which was another Frederick Law Olmsted gem that was made, these parks all around the country. So I could escape, like nature was full of like hope and joy and imagination and wonder. And, you know, but my area certainly succumbed to, you know, being the Rust Belt. And, and but I do believe, you know, Nietzsche said suffering is essential for the soul. Um, and there's no one who's gone on gone unscathed in this pandemic. What the governor and I went through, you know, we 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 see now that that cascaded to just every leader, every person, every school board member, every teacher, every nurse. Like no one was untouched. But right out of this time, our recognition of things like not being dependent on our supply chains. You know, in the beginning, not only did I have to deal with hunger games, fighting for PPE, having helping our hospitals to not outbid each other, having boats stolen in port by other countries. We didn't have amoxicillin in supply because we had become so reliant. Well, the good news is so much of that is moving back here. You know, I really see Cleveland like as with all the health assets, you know, new manufacturing and bringing health health assets here. And of course, where we sit, as we joke about being Silicon Valley, you know, the ripple effect of Intel and the many, many businesses that are coming, this is going to be just truly an opportunity for Ohio. And to come alongside that, I've just said over and over again, and at the Columbus Foundation, we were working on measures for well-being of our community. We're tired of having some of the worst health outcomes in the country. We're tired of being beaten by Michigan and in our burn or well-being index. This is the chance to marry economic development and human development. They are one and the same thing. Our visions in Rapid Five have new minority businesses, women-led businesses, 
up and down these corridors and other cities around this country and around the world, businesses don't open up to parking lots anymore. They're opening up to green spaces and blue spaces. This reinvigorates existing institutions from Franklin Park Conservatories reimagined as a way station on your day's adventure. The zoo, COSI, they do outdoor mobile education and KIPP school is going to be building outdoor classrooms. One of the things that amazed me in this vision was we've talked so long about redlining in this community and where I live right against Hanford Village and Bexley is where the highway cut through and divided a neighborhood. This plan literally has designs that are already underway for reconnecting those communities and reconnecting Hanford Village back to Alum Creek. I mean, this is our chance. We should not settle. We have got to raise the bar high. This has transportation opportunities, new courses of mobility. We're looking at building affordable housing in this community. But I've seen you can build housing and you can literally have a bike path. But I came across a kid who is just sitting there because that has not yet been activated. That neighborhood has, has to be empowered to own their swath of that creek mm-hmm. and own that. And so our nonprofits, we won't be doing this work. We will be elevating the best nonprofits who know how to do programming for that neighborhood and programming for that child. This is not a zero-sum game. And I think the biggest threat to any beautiful, bold vision is the fact that we get in this zero-sum mentality. This is definitely the chance that all ships rise. And that, that is our belief. There is more than enough resources here Rapid Five is still in its early stages, but Acton has a strong sense of what kind of organization she wants to run and what help she needs along the way. It has been the two of us, and I second what Jen is saying. You know, my last job had, you know, thousands of employees, and, 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 and we're beginning again, you know, from the ground up building something and dealing with what all startups deal with from you know, healthcare to what IT system you're going to use. But we're thrilled, you know, we've known all along as we look around the country to see what kind of organizations support a vision of this magnitude, this boldness. And we started to imagine a very lift organization. We see ourselves as catalyzers and conveners that are bringing together huge sectors of our community, whether it's business, nonprofit, design, government, and then over 80 municipalities. So we're really, and then individuals, because this is at heart a movement of people. So what is the right team you design? And and so we see ourselves coming alongside people and alongside cities to realize their dreams. So we do have, soon we'll be announcing our next uh, two folks that are coming on board. We're really excited about that. And we'll continue that growth. We also just received our official 501c3 status, and we'll be, uh, we're in the process of building a board, and that will be standing up in the fall. So, you know, it's all that building again, and long nights and sleepless nights, but great joy, great purpose, and great focus. You asked how our business community can help. As we've really studied the best kind of vehicle to hold a vision like this and make it reality, first of all, 
you have to look long-term because we know from day one we're going to start working on endowing this. Because the trick to this, we learned this as we did the beautiful work on the riverfront downtown. It's not enough to even just raise the money to build it. You have to sustain it in perpetuity. So we need to make sure that these gems are here for generations to come. But we're building a nonprofit that's more like a social enterprise. We looked all over the country. You know, a good friend, Doug Allman, you know, been so amazed at work he has done with Pelotonia. And we're looking at a similar model. We're really building ourselves like a social enterprise. We are looking to have a few key partners. Again, I need a small list, but very highly talented staff, because our job is to mobilize all these entities, the nonprofits, the business community, the 80 jurisdictions. I thought I was getting away from politics, but as you imagine, we're the United Nation of many, many different points of views, environmentalists, all the academics and students gathering all young people to be involved. So... You know, the thing we want to do is have an operating budget with a couple key partners, not unlike a Pelotonia, so that every moment of our day is spent raising money, raising awareness, bringing toolkits, building a movement of people that is outward facing, 100% of that outward facing. So that we're really building a creative model. We're gonna have a store, you know, another great thing that my dear friend can tell you about is our dream for a store. We want swag, meaning that we see ourselves functioning a lot like a national park system. Mm -hmm. And from artwork and culture and, and having things that help us like feel pride in this area. But at its heart, it's going to be a movement. Well, yeah, what Amy alluded to is, so you mean kind of merchandise you're going to sell? What does that component (laughs) of the operation look like? Yeah, so uh, great brands, people want to represent, and they want a piece of it. And, you know, interestingly, that first night that I heard Keith speak, they handed out magnets with the five on it. And I put that on my car, and it's been there ever since. And I get tons of questions before I've been part of the organization officially and since, you know, what's that five? What is that all about? And it, it's given me an opportunity to speak about Rapid Five and the mission and the brand. And people want to wear it. They want a hat. They want a t-shirt. They want a mug. They want to be able to brand their kayak. They want to slap a sticker on the back of their car. And that is like huge. I mean, you don't take that for granted when people want to to wear and represent your brand. And I think because even before we were really a nonprofit yet, there is already the momentum of a movement happening that people can feel and they want to be a part of it. And it's, you know, it's the hipster rock climbers and it's the 80-year-old gardeners, to Amy's point, of 8 to 80. Mm-hmm. It's Rochelle's daughter who is River Girl. You Fly know, there is, there is momentum here around the ethos of this and, mm-hmm. and what it means. And, you know, I come from a branding background originally. I spent 10 years in advertising and then worked for the next 18 on specialty retail and really branding not only those establishments, but the products that were sold. And I see the potential for this. And, and, we, and we have a want for people to be able to interact with our brand. I mean, we're going to make a really nice store online, but a physical manifestation, a place where people can come and hang out and share tips and pick up gear. I mean, maybe we will have kayaks and waders and, you know, Pop truly up. partner with <laughs> brands like REI and, you know, Public Lands and Cotopaxi. You know, these are dreams that, you know, Patagonia that we have that, you know, we we want to have that, the merch. Well, I think I want to 
try and wrap up here with some rapid fire kind of questions that I that I ask every guest pretty much. So the first one, which I feel like we've alluded to a couple times, how many hours a week would you say that you're working? Wow. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I dream about rapid five every night. It seems to be a, a, River a, a pattern for me <laughs> with any, any work. Um, you know, it's, it's giving me time with my family. I mean, we're not, we're actually, I took a few days off to take my son on college visits. Amy got to go to the beach. You know, we, we really want to have balance and to bring the whole notion of well-being to our work day. Yeah. And we know this is a phase that we're just in such an intense time because mm-hmm. we're creating it all. Mm-hmm. Workplace culture, that means so much to us. I can't tell you what it's like working with her. I mean, she just, the energy of a vital person just vitalizes everyone around them. And we really, it's going to be very important to us from our healthcare benefits to everything for our employees. We want, we want to embody a life of well-being. But as any startup person knows, and especially when you're working alongside founders, you know, this is the phase where, you know, we're, we're just, there's so much opportunity and you, all the plates are spinning at once. And I found this with every new project I've done. I, I, I even said to myself before I started, I said to my husband, my dear, very patient husband, you know, you know, give me eight months. <laughs> because it just seems to me there's somewhere around that eight month mark where, Somehow, like that whole like bending, morphing, trying to do it all starts to fall into like your new rhythm. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've learned now at the age of 56 to just kind of be patient with the, the discomfort. You know, so many startup people are, this is their favorite time of the whole thing. And it is, but you know, for us, this is a giant vision with so many moving parts. And for me, it's a gathering just the right people. Like the people are everything. And we really want to do that. And then we can turn our energy out to the world and lifting everyone else up. So so we do hope to have a better life <laughs> than maybe we're having right now. <laughs> well, and I always ask, and this is something you can take in any direction you want. If you were talking to a young woman just starting her career who who admires you guys and wants to following your footsteps in some way, what's one piece of advice you would give her? I think I always try to remind myself. So I would I would probably say, stay open to the possibilities. Amy? Well, I've said this often. I'm a very ordinary person who has found myself in the crosshairs of history. So I found myself in an extraordinary moment. I am a big believer And life is evoking your character. Joseph Campbell is somebody I mentioned on the press conferences. He's a man who had studied all world religions, all mythologies, and found that all of us face times. No one goes unscathed. We have these little hero adventures, whether they be big or small, where we enter the dark forest and have to face our worst fears and slay a few dragons. And coming out of that, often you have the gold for the, the world needs. Uh, George Lucas was a big fan of his. That's where Star Wars came from. And so I would just tell everyone that, that you're on this journey and every bit of it. I've been with so many people as a doctor in the last breath of their life, and they are still learning. And you start to develop this compass where you start to trust your gut. I mean, there's just so many serendipities and gut moments where you know, my life of like the best things that ever happened and the worst things that happened were all part of it. This generation, you know, a lot is being said. I'm so gung-ho on this generation coming up. 
Yes, they are suffering from you know, anxiety, depression, their worlds have been disrupted, but they are eyes wide open. And I think I keep saying it's generation C, not for COVID and chaos, but for the fact that they are change agents. They are going to be the catalyst. They are willing to have hard conversations. I really see them as compassionate. They care so deeply about the environment. And I know that when you're young, it's daunting. But please, like you are the the folks we need and life will evoke your character someday in little ways, but someday it will be something that you just can't look the other way on. And I would just leap into that. Jen and I have taken a leap. We are leaping into the unknown yet again, 56, (laughs) with a Thelma and Louise (laughs) jumping into this. And I I wish that for all young people. Keep, Keep following your heart and don't give up. Yeah, my path was not linear. It was Mm -mm. absolutely lots of turns and twists and journeys that, you know, got me to this place. But I think that, you know, I've been given many signs that this is where I'm supposed to be, whether it's, you know, random connections, Amy's involvement, coming into a meeting and finding out someone grew up two doors down from my husband. I mean, it's been crazy. And I, I believe Columbus has that. And that is that potent power that keeps us loving living here. You know, that we are so connected and people are accessible and it's, you know, not at arm's reach. But I do think that, you know, you have to stay open to possibilities because these twists and turns come. And if you have only a linear vision of, you know, this age I'm doing that, this, you know, next point will bring this. It doesn't happen that way. That is just not life. And so enjoy the ride. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's terrific. Great note to end on. So thank you two so much. Terrific conversation. <laughs> thank you, And thanks so much to all of you for joining us as well. If you're not already, follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you'll be notified of each new episode as it's released. Another huge thank you to Amy Acton and Jennifer Peterson for joining us. I'm Eleanor Kennedy, Assistant Managing Editor of Columbus Business First, and this has been Women of Influence. See you next time.